Blog Talk Radio. so quickly because from a condition standpoint this team this organization hasn't had these sort of issues in the past and yeah well we're on to Cincinnati so do you think you mentioned Tom's age at the draft um, we're on to Cincinnati well do you think having a 37 year old we're on to Cincinnati it's nothing about the past nothing about the future it's right now we're preparing for Cincinnati okay do you feel like the talent you have here is good we're getting ready for Cincinnati well, it's not getting ready for Cincinnati, but it is getting ready. The Boston College Eagles are coming off of a loss for the ages, if you will. Uh, at least that's the way it feels around these parts. Coming off a defeat on Saturday to the Florida State Seminoles uh, on, on Friday, I should say, for on national television the Boston College Eagles taking on the Northern Illinois Huskies on Saturday of this week. My name's Dan Rubin, joined by A.J. Black tonight, as usual, on the, the ones and twos up here on the BCI radio show. And the prognostications of doom that came from Friday night's game, I was among them. But i got to be honest with you, here we are a couple of days later. It's Tuesday. I'm pumped for Saturday. And I'm a little more pumped than usual, A.J., because quite simply – these are the times when emotion gets hot, and if you're not up for Saturday's game right now, then you just don't get it. It doesn't get any bigger for you right now, given the fact that apparently, according to some people, we shouldn't even be here right now. This season's technically over, right? And I think I already connected you. Well, I'll let you get the sign back in, but you know what? Here's my point, and this is the point that I'm making on this, is that the Boston College Eagles – are beyond the shadow of a doubt one of the you know they're they're a little bit against it right now the defense played fantastic on friday but everybody seems to just want to talk about the offense everybody wants to talk about what's going on from the offensive side that the offense was quite simply offensive couldn't move the ball couldn't get going couldn't couldn't take it to uh, the the florida state seminoles and you know it's it's one of those things where they struggled. They did struggle. Darius Wade is out for the season. Darius Wade's broken ankle will have him out for the, at least the rest of this year. We don't know how you know how bad of an injury it is. If if you know he is going to make the full comeback, we don't know. You never know when you get a season-ending injury. But the point is, is that the team still showed up for practice, still gets back at it, and is still going to work hard to 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 go out on Saturday and defeat a very good football team. Now. Here's my take on it, and here's, here's kind of my, uh, my, my perspective, and that is that this Boston College team, this is going to be a big game for them. They know it. They know it in their heart of hearts. It's incredibly frustrating from my perspective, and again, I'm still waiting for AJ to come in, so I'm sorry that I'm going to turn the beginning of this show into a rant. It is incredibly 
frustrating to have heard three days later, especially given the the tone of Steve Adazio, that he was a little defiant to to the end in his press conference, that this is where we're at. That Boston College, at this point in time, you know, three games into the season, the prognostications are that this team is done like as dead like dinner. Now, did they play poorly on Friday? Well, offensively, yes, they did. Uh, I, I'm not going to to try and sugarcoat that. I know that they 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 didn't move the ball. Uh, they but you know there were a couple of things beyond it in uh, in terms of of just where they are as a team. They're a very young team. Young, inexperienced offensive line. A young, inexperienced quarterback with young, inexperienced uh, wide receivers. It was incredibly frustrating to watch them not be able to move the ball and wind up with 190 yards or whatever it was. But at the same time, they they took it to the number nine team in the country, and they did a very, very good job at that. So, you know, it is it is frustrating. It, it You're under understandably so if you are frustrated with the way that the offense played. But, A.J., I think I finally have you here. My point being is that I'm coming out hot tonight because, you know, after hearing Steve Adazio yesterday, uh, you know, when I listened to the audio, having heard him be a little bit testy with the way people are are starting to view that that this team is dead like dinner, uh, you know, I I just don't see it. It's a new day. They're going to get things together. They're going to go back to the drawing board. And we're going to see just what this team's made of on Saturday afternoon. All right, I've thrown it to you twice, and uh, I can't hear you. Uh, AJ, do I have you? I can't. I can't ramble like this for for a uh, for for some time. I, I think I have you. All right, I'll give you. I'll give you another shot to get in here. Anyways, we got a huge show lined up. We've got Eric Hopses from EagleAction.com, the Rivals affiliate. He'll be coming on to regroup, talk about the game, talk about some of the things that went wrong, and how they're going to fix them. Uh, this week for Boston College. He's going to talk about a little bit of the atmosphere surrounding the program, and uh, we'll have him on to uh, discuss what exactly is going on with the Eagles. Now, as we get back into it, uh, one of the things that I do want to talk about and get into is, uh, of course, the comments yesterday at the media session. Uh, talked about them uh, a little bit earlier on the blog. I talked about them uh, yesterday, last night, with, with Mark Rogers TV, kind of the instant reaction, and that is uh, the following. The defense played outstanding against, uh, against, the, uh, against the Seminoles. They held the Florida State Seminoles to just 215 yards, essentially, of offense. Dalvin Cook down to 50 yards of offense. He only achieved uh, very little, uh, didn't get the ball moving much. And, the, and after the opening drive, Boston College really settled in on defense and held the Seminoles to nothing the rest of the game. The other points were scored off of an offensive fumble, which was a fundamental mistake that, you know, is correctable. Is, uh, I, I doubt anyone on the Boston College offense was ready to fumble that. Um, you know, it, so it, there were positives to take away. We're a little disjointed here as we open up the show, but we'll get through all of that. And we want you to call in 646-200-0446. AJ, do I finally have you here? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. It's like a, I've been I've been getting all types of fired up here, pitching it to you twice, and then you weren't there. I feel like I fumbled the ball here, so I'm glad I have you yeah. back. I don't know how much of that you heard so far. I no, I was too busy trying to fumble with Google uh, phones to get that thing to work. I was, I was there, but and I could hear you, but you couldn't hear me. So um, I heard pieces of it, and um, 
yeah, I was what I was saying um, to myself and my dog, who was probably the only ones that could hear me, uh, was that you know Adazio is right. This is a in, in this is a young team, and the chicken littles that are jumping off the cliff after one game, um, I, they have the right to be frustrated with the play calling. They have a right to be upset about the um, kneeling at, at you know with two minutes left in the half. I get that um, some of that stuff, but like just launching the season into the abyss is is not only it's weak it's being a bad fan um and it's it's completely absurd because nothing that of what Adazio has shown uh over the last two years should predicate that you're going to fall off the face of the earth after one game we we got blown out last year by Pitt at home it was closer at near the end but so was Florida State it was a close game too in both games we got beat physically physically beaten by both of those teams different ways, but last year didn't end up um, being a complete disaster. And from what it sounds like, people think that just because we lost Wade, our offense looks like crap, this season's going to be a mess. And I cannot agree with that right now. We need to see more. We need to see what these two quarterbacks are going to do, and we're going to go from there. Well, I think when it comes to me and you, uh, you know, after the game, we did we did criticize Boston College's offense. We did kind of we did uh, kind of take it to them a little bit in both of our in both of our assessments. I know in the cheers and jeers you you gave it a little bit. Um, I gave it a little bit at times too through through talking about where the offense is going to go, who's going to play quarterback. You know, I we we both described the offensive line as having played poorly. Now, you know, we we were up in the stands. It's a very different perspective. And once I heard what Steve Adazio had to say. And once I read what Steve Adazio had to say, I started to come around on it. You know, he said, this is his exact quote, which I'm lifting right now from BCEagles.com. People say the offensive line is terrible. No, they weren't. That's not an actual statement, although they were inconsistent. It's a collective combination of things. I don't think we are particularly running the ball well. I said uh, really well. I said the strength of our team is in our running backs, but right now it really isn't. We're not playing at the level we need to be playing at, and that's been addressed. The offensive line is young and inexperienced, and they're working at it, but it, but there are times when the plays block perfectly well. You have to get more than the six, seven, or eight yards that are available there. It's okay to get some yards when it's not blocked so well. That's what's happened across America in college football, so we have to work on that. Well, it looks to me, AJ, like he's identified the problem and maybe the problem isn't on the offensive line as much as we thought it was, and it's a combination of things. When the block opens, the running back has to be able to break off a run. When the block isn't there, they have to be able to make something from nothing. I think people who are assessing the offensive line as terrible, myself included at times, and saying that the offensive line looked bad, maybe don't get to review the film the same way the coaches do, and more importantly, aren't seeing what the coaches see, I'm willing to admit I'm wrong, but you're absolutely right. Chicken Little fans, who are bad fans, have been waiting for this moment to jump all over the Boston College Eagles, and that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and I got attacked. I, I, you know, I'm not going to talk about all the commenters and everything that they're, right, they're talking about, but in my cheers and jeers, um, I, I, you have to think that Adazio might actually agree with one of the things I got bashed for in the comment section, which was, I put a jeer on John Hilleman. And, you know, after he said what he said, that, you know, the, the, the offensive line has struggled at points, but it's not just them. You know, you think back to some of Hilleman's runs. 
does he seem that, and I'll ask you, Dan, does he seem that, you know, like he's bursting to the hole, or does he seem like when he sees the, he gets the ball, it's almost like a, a horizontal juke move that ends up with him going backwards because the, the line's pushing in on him. He doesn't seem like he's attacking the hole like he did last year. It seems like it's more of this juking stuff, almost like what we used to see a lot of Patriots fans with Lawrence Maroney, where he would just kind of just juke a little bit and then get hit behind the line of scrimmage. He's not attacking the holes. Like, um, Rouse has done a great job with that in Outlaw, and that's why I'm thinking why, you know, maybe maybe it's time to think of, you know, until he can get himself together to, to move on to another running back as the primary back right now. Yeah, no, I I agree wholeheartedly in terms not necessarily about the the getting the other back there, but you do have a sense that the John Hilleman does have the skill set and he needs to be able to go forward and he needs to be able to, you know, it's it is only three games into the season. He did not play much against Howard, and uh, nobody really did a, a, take a meaningful snap there. So after two games, he has seen struggles. Now, it, it, is it something that's incurable? No, he can cure it. And I think that's where the, the short-sightedness, this was against a very good defense, a number nine team in the nation who was able to shut out the offense. You know, that's more than just the play calling stunk and we plowed it into. If John Hilleman rips off a couple of 11, 12-yard runs or rips off a 13-yard run, you know, in, in Boston College gains 300 yards of, of rushing offense, all of a sudden, the running offense, he looks like a genius. So, yep. yes, it, it, it didn't work, but that's the identity of this team. That's the way the, the team is always going to be. And that's another thing that, that Steve Adazio talked about. He wasn't willing to risk the play of the defense by throwing the ball all over the field. Now, from a play-calling standpoint, I did, I did disagree with it. And I do disagree with some of the times that I would have liked to have seen another rollout pass. Or I did think that Derek – but at the same time, Darius Wade, I'm also saying, was staring down receivers. So am I going to say throw the ball on second and three or second and four or third and eight when he's staring down the receivers and can't get the ball to them? Now I'm contradicting myself, and now I'm being hypocritical. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh, it was tough because you wanted to see him throw the ball, but, you know, again, the fans do not agree with you when you say this, but I – the wide receivers were struggling mightily out there. You're playing, and it's not always their fault. They're they're young, many of them. Swigert, you you know, he's coming back from a major injury. Um, there's other guys that are changing positions. Elijah Robinson, Nosevich. They're all you know. So they're a, they're a position in flux, and they're playing one of the best secondaries in the country. Jalen Ramsey is possibly a top-ten pick in the, in the NFL. And you want Darius Wade, who's staring down receivers, throwing at him. I I don't. <laughs> You're going to take the odds there. The odds are that if he stares down a receiver, Dalen Ramsey's going to have another touchdown. Yep, and and there's a and there's a lot to digest in this. We'll, we'll, of course, be able to do it over the course of the broadcast. AJ, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm ornery. You know, I started out the beginning of the weekend. I was pretty angry with the way that game, I, I felt BC let it, let it go. I felt that it was right there, and it, and it was let go. The more and more I've thought about it, the more and more I've kind of just buried the Florida State game, and I've said, now we know where the team needs to work on. Now we know the holes that they need to work on, and we're on a Northern Illinois. That's why I opened up the broadcast with, we're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Northern Illinois. Forget complaining about what happened during the Florida State game. Yes, the offense did not play well. It's likely the offense might not play well on Saturday. But we're on to Northern Illinois, 
And instead of dwelling on what happened against Florida State, which we're going to do. I mean, that's just natural. We're going to, we're going to break it down. But can we, you and I, focus on what this team maybe did right or maybe needs to work on so that we can move on to Northern Illinois, see what this team's going to do against Northern Illinois, and if they come away with a win and they're 3-1 and one going into Duke – all those people that if they're two and two going into Duke, it depends how they're two and two. But if they're three and one, all these naysayers and everything that we talked about after complaining after last week's game maybe goes away. You know, I know we have a caller waiting for us, but I had one thought. You know, all the all the the negatives this week has been on the offense and all the offensive play calling. But Adazio came out this week and he said he has not named a starting quarterback. He's not named Troy Flutie. He has not named Jeff Smith as a starter. It's all going to be based on the situation and the package. He's going to be, he sounds like he's going to be rolling out both. Now that I think is going to set up what kind of offense we're going to have moving forward. I can't imagine everyone who complains that all Adazio does is run, run, pilot dirt with two different quarterbacks. Because if you have two completely different skill sets at the quarterback position, what difference does it make if they're just going to go in and hand the ball off? I think we're going to see different play calls, and I think that is what's going to be interesting to watch and to see really how Adazio can adapt um, his offense again because he's got two quarterbacks that can do different things. I mean, Jeff Smith and Turkley both have good arms. No matter what people are saying, Smith can throw it. And, but he's also he's more mobile, so it'll be interesting to see if Adazio is able to open up the playbook more um, and use some deception with those two quarterbacks this weekend. Uh, you know, I I talk about this all the time, AJ, in the sense of that you know it's it, it's it's it is frustrating, but you know Steve Adazio said he was going to bring along Darius Wade. He obviously can't do that this year, but. You know, he, he did say a couple of things that did resonate once I, you know, he was, the mood and the, and the atmosphere of his comments, and I got to listen to it on, on EagleAction.com's uh, media file, is that it was, it was just, it was a very, very different type of tone, and I think that tone is much more determined. And it'll be interesting to see what we see. It, and it, it took me aback. I, I know that. It, it, but the more and more I think about it, the more and more I get into it, it's, it's just interesting to kind of dissect. And that's something that we'll do throughout the course of the broadcast and, of course, throughout the week. Now, with that said, if we're going to dissect Boston College, we turn to people who know a lot more about football and more about this program than we do. For that, we bring in, speaking of Eagle Action, Mr. Eric Hofsis. Our uh, our resident expert of the night, and thanks for tuning in. We we're we're, we're opening up hot, so uh, you're you're stepping into a to a to a bona fide oven, Mr. Hopsis. I'm ready, willing, and able. Well, we've had a uh, it's it's been a it's been a long couple of days uh, in the world of being a Boston College football fan. Uh, first off, uh, you know one of the things that we talked about was uh, you know throughout the the opening parts of this broadcast was. You know, the the offense had its moments of, of obviously struggling, but it doesn't seem like the prognostications of doom are, are either well-earned or that we kind of have to be realistic that maybe this team isn't as good as 76 to nothing against Howard, but maybe they're not as bad as 14 nothing uh, against Florida State. Where kind of do you fall on that spectrum of having watched the offense through the first three weeks? Uh, I think you – hit it right on the head saying they're somewhere in between. 
Um, you know, I, I I think Friday night not only was in his FSU a good defense, but I didn't I didn't think that the BC offense particularly played as as well as they could. Um, and I, I think you're you're going to see them, you know, get a little better as the year goes forward. But you know, like my, most people has observed, that's this is pretty much what the season is going to be. You know, it's going to be the defense. Um, it, what it kind of reminds me of back when uh, Pedro pitched for the Sox. You know, sometimes he'd throw these unbelievable games, but you know he'd be down one to nothing heading into the ninth inning, and you know he'd be like, "Oh my God!" You know, like somebody get this guy some runs. Like he he deserves the win today. But and that's how I, I kind of felt watching the BC defense out there. Like you know they kind of give up a big big player too, and you know find find themselves down seven nothing, and you know just just never get any support. And that's that's kind of what I think you'll see a lot um, this year. But you know. Obviously, the defenses are going to get a lot weaker along the way here, and 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 so are the offenses um, that BC plays. So, um, you know, they're they're going to get a little bit better. That's about as tough as it's going to come on Friday night. But like you hinted to, obviously, there's tons of question marks, you know, on offense and coaching um, coming out of that game. When we talk about the. Uh... When we talk about the, the, the coaching aspect of it and the two-minute drill is the one thing that people focus on, um, you know, Steve Adazio yesterday, he said it flat out that, that he did play it conservatively. He did want to get into ha- halftime 7 nothing to reorganize and regroup. He didn't want to kill the defensive effort. Um, you know, people tend to view that as being ultra-conservative or even to, to turn around to, to say not going for it. I think there's a big difference between saying we're going to reorganize versus, you know, what, what Frank Spaziani would do, which is it, it appeared similar, but, it, 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 you know, in light of the comments, it does feel a little bit different. If the circumstances were different, if the circumstances of the offense had been different, um, is that something that people can expect or is that something that is a bad thing? Like, you know, people tend to talk about it and they say, well, why didn't we take a shot for it? Well, he gave the explanation and it doesn't seem to be good enough for some people. So is that explanation good enough in general? Well, it wasn't good enough for me still because, um, honestly, I felt like he contradicted himself a little bit yesterday. You know, he, he went through his explanation of how bad the offense was playing um, and whatnot. But then kind of within the same minute or two, um, he talked about regrouping and hoping to flip field position and get better field position for his offense. Well, um, that part confused me because I understand, you know, when that drive started, they started at, you know, their own 20, own 25, and he, he just wanted to run out the clock. But uh, after Miles Willis pops that big run, all of a sudden now they're at the 42-yard line and, you know, on first down they run again, they get another four yards, and, um, you know, all of a sudden they're at the 46-yard line. There's still a minute and a half left in the half. In, in college football, um, I don't know, that's just an eternity, I think. And, and I understand the offense wasn't, wasn't really clicking, obviously, but my takeaway was that that was the first time all night the offense – had even gotten that far down the field, really, um, aside from, from when that drive where they kind of punted on fourth down from around the, the 40 or so on Florida State's 40. Uh, my thing was they hadn't really got 
moved the ball and gotten the offense to that point in the field all night. Um, you know, what was uh, what was the higher percentage thing that was going to happen? Was BC going to throw the ball and throw a couple incomplete passes and have to punt to FSU? Um, and was the defense just going to allow a touchdown at the end of the half? Or was there a better percentage chance maybe that, you know, they complete a pass, you know, hit for another run, and all of a sudden they're in field goal range? I don't really know. I don't, I don't think there was a high percentage at all that BC was going to turn the ball over or that FSU was going to get the ball with a minute left and march down the field and score. That's just not really the way that game was playing out. So, um, you know, it confused me, and, uh, I, you know, Coach Dazio was sticking by his guns yesterday uh, about you know kind of running the clock out but you know I kind of feel feel the same way that I felt on Friday night that um, you know the offense should uh, try a little harder to try and get in field goal range because after watching that first half I, I didn't have confidence the BC offense was going to get the ball over midfield the rest of the game I thought that was going to be one of their last shots to even score um, so but Coach Dazio, that's that's kind of what he does. And, you know, because he's been so successful the first two years, uh, I, I think it's gone a little unnoticed that, you know, at halftime he, he almost always goes this route and plays it ultra-conservative, um, likes to kind of go into the half without, you know, a big mistake before the half. So um, I wasn't surprised by him doing it because that's what I've seen him do a lot of times in these, um, kind of circumstances at BC. You have to wonder if that's sort of a backlash over the last couple of years where it was almost a hallmark for BC to give up points at the end of the half. It was like every game last year, it felt like BC's defense would give up points. So I wonder if Adazio, in his mind, is thinking, I've got to be more conservative about this so that they don't put up points. Yeah, you might you might be onto something, and I've heard, you know, the people who say that they agree with what Coach Dazio did and, um, you know, to run out the clock, I hear a lot of those people point to the FSU game two years ago where, you know, BC gave the ball back to FSU a minute before the half. And, um, of course, who for, could forget that long touchdown pass uh, right, right, right ahead of half and kind of a momentum changer in that game. But I just felt like um, while they were both, the same two schools playing each other. I just felt like it was a different game. It was the yeah. BC defense was much better than it was two years ago, and the FSU offense is a shell of what it was two years ago. Sure. Now, the, obviously, the game took a, a different turn when Darius Wade went down with his ankle injury, and uh, you know the the internet's been buzzing all week about you know is it going to be Flutie? Is it going to be Wade? Uh, is it going to be Jeff Smith? Um, and Adazio came out, and it sounds like what he said is you know. He's going to be looking at, you know, looking at both of them during practice, and it might be a, you know, a package type situation where, you know, Smith comes in in certain situations, um, Flutie comes in in certain situations. Um, what is, what is your feel of how Saturday's going to look in terms of the quarterback situation? Um, quite frankly, I'd be shocked if you don't see both quarterbacks on Saturday. I. Almost certain you're going to see different packages for both. You know, they each have their own skill sets. Um, Flutie is a really interesting guy because um, sometimes I, when I watch him quarterback, you know, in the scrimmages and practices I've seen um, and, and the limited amount of games, too, 
Um, he's kind of like one of those basketball players that's kind of like the streak shooter where he might hit nine threes in a row and then, you know, over the next three games he shoots, you know, two for 15 from three. Like, for whatever reason, he's a really streaky quarterback. There's some days where he just, I don't know how he does it, he just, you know, pulls plays out, kind of improvises, just a playmaker, makes plays happen, and then I'll see him for another scrimmage or two, and quite honestly, he'll look like he he doesn't even belong as the backup quarterback, never mind a starting quarterback. So um, I think some of it's going to be how, how they kind of play the hot hand with him, kind of get the feel of how his game's going that day. And um, I'm eager to see Jeff Smith, too, um, because he's a little bit of an unknown for me, too. I, obviously, I saw him in practice and scrimmage, but – um, it was kind of the extent of what I saw him in, in games so far this year. There was a lot of running, a lot of design run plays, a lot of drop back to pass. If your first read isn't there, take off and run. Um, so I, his his arm strength, I know he has good arm strength, but his accuracy and decision-making is a total unknown to me. So um, I'm pretty excited to kind of see him the next few games and, and see what he's all about in those departments. Eric, when we talk about Troy Flutie, and, and obviously Troy Flutie, for whatever the the reason, uh, seems to be the a, a lightning rod to begin with, just because of, of his genetic background. Um, if he steps into the game and and he does perform well, and I un, I understand that with with kind of riding the hot hand or anything like that, but if if he performs well, or even if Jeff Smith performs well. How much uh, uh, latitude of, of both quarterbacks will they get if they start to struggle a little bit and take a couple of steps back? Will Steve Adazio let them try to play it out? Or, you know, if Troy Flutie steps in and, and misses on a bunch of throws and then uh, – or Jeff Smith comes in and, and isn't able to move the ball, is he is he going to let them try to play it out or does he go to the other quarterback? I don't, I don't think he's going to have a lot of patience for that. Um you know, just judging by him talking about each guy having their own pack packages that they'll go in with, and you know, not re- not even knowing, you know, a couple days after the game, a couple days to sleep on it, not even knowing who who he was going to name as the starter, um, that kind of tells me he doesn't he doesn't have a favorite between the two of who he thinks, um, you know, is the is the the clearly better quarterback, um, you know. I think when I look at the two guys, Smith has the bigger long-term, long-term upside potential um, than Flutie does. So perhaps he's a little more patient with Smith and doesn't just kind of turn the reins over to Flutie for 100% of the plays. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think he's going to let – one guy over the other make a ton of mistakes while the other guy sits on the sidelines. I, I don't. I don't think that's going to be the case. Is there any? And I know that the coach said, you know, if in his in his remarks there, he said, you know, well, can you know, he's not going to rule out Elijah Robinson. He's, you know, he's he put it. I'll do whatever it takes just to get a win. Whatever whatever the the right call is, he'll make that call. Um, is this a two horse race right now, or is there a dark horse third racer? You know, could but even John Fadul there, Fadouli, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, randomly make an appearance at some point. Uh, I think there's a shot of it. Um, 
I have a I have a tough time believing um, Eliza, Elijah Robinson would they'll give him a lot of time even in, in practice, um, give him reps at quarterback. I, I think right now, especially at, at the on the on, at the onset here, he's going to be giving all the reps to Smith and Flutie. Um, and with that being the case, I, I don't even know how he'd have enough reps to prepare Elijah Robinson to to get in there. You know, maybe there's some kind of special play or two that they kind of um, throw into the offense so Elijah can go out there and run a couple plays a game. You know, just to give the defense a different look. But um, I, I don't think he's going to spend too much time um, working in Elijah Robinson at quarterback he's spoken very highly of his potential at receiver and i don't think he wants to take time away from that development um and um but like i said i i wouldn't be shocked though to see elijah get in there for a play or two especially if if, if these two guys really struggle the next game or two he's 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 gonna have to find a way somehow to generate yards so i i don't i don't i don't think he'd totally turn away from letting Robinson see a couple, you know, specialty plays, design snaps or something like that. And, um, uh, with, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name either, to be honest. I'll, we'll go with <laughs> Faduli. That sounded good. Uh, let's call him the Wellesley kid. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think, I think somebody, you know, Flutie or Smith maybe would potentially have to get injured to, you know, um, for Faduli to see any time, but um, he isn't, you know, when I compare him to other walk-ons that, you know, have been the third and fourth string quarterback, he's probably one of the more capable ones that I've seen. So uh, he does have that going for him anyways. Well, is if it, that, there's no way in heck Brendan Nosevich re- abandons the fullback <laughs> experiment, right? There's There's no way that's happening. <laughs> no, I don't I don't uh <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> we believe me, we've heard we've heard a little bit of everything throughout the week. So I, 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 That's it, a new one. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> we've we've heard it all and and for the most part we've probably been criticized for it all too. Um What about the, having Stephen Daniels line up and shotgun and let him bulldoze some people over with the ball? I would actually pay. I would actually pay really good money to see that because he would. He, that would be. That would actually probably be entertaining. And who knows? He could even complete a pass. We don't know. Possibly. <laughs> well, northern. We, we turn the page, and and again, I I kind of get fired up myself about this because I I try like heck. It, it's the the mentality of me that when I say all right, the game's over. We we've run through the things that have gone right or wrong. We I mean the defense obviously pre- played great. The offense did not. Uh, we've got the, the week ahead to, to kind of figure out or see what's developing for the offense. But we're on to Northern Illinois. That's that's kind of been the approach that, I, that I've taken. Uh, very Belichickian of me. Uh, but Northern Illinois, they're a very good middle-of-the-road ro- middle uh, team. They're an elite non-power team. Uh, they just gave Ohio State all they could handle. This is by no means an opponent Boston College is going to face this weekend that's just going to roll over and play dead just because BC's got a quarterback problem. No, and I mean I don't I don't I don't know the inside politics of how this game 
God on the schedule, but this is just terrible schedule making because it's one of those games where you're really not going to get, you know, uh, I, I know the really hardcore football fans would appreciate that if BC could beat Northern Illinois, but I think the average college football fan, particularly the average sports fan in New England who sees this game, I mean, BC is going to get absolutely no credit for winning the game with the, with the average person, and we'll get all sorts of crap if they lose this game. Um, so this is just one of those games I hate to see see on the schedule because it's it's a very very tough game. I mean, Adazio hinted at it that Northern Illinois is you know probably better than a lot a lot of the Power Five conference teams, especially you know the bottom feeders. I, you know, I, I think this game is going to be harder than say a game, the game against Wake. Um, this is definitely not one of the easier games on the schedule, and um, I, I just hope BC emotionally is is ready for this game. I, I, I think the one good thing is they have that tape from Ohio State to show the players that, hey, you know, Northern Illinois is not messing around. Like, you're not ready to play them. They are going to smack you in the face and beat you. So um, hopefully you don't have to worry about, you know, BC taking Northern Illinois lightly. But, um, yeah, this is just one of those games you'd never like to see on the schedule. So speaking of uh, getting smacked in the face, um Kevin Kavalik got uh, knocked out of the game last week, and um, we've heard rumors. I've heard two different reports. I've heard that he's day-to-day, and I've heard that he is out. Um, have you heard anything if he's going to be able to play on Saturday? Um, yeah, I had, I had heard rumors that, um, you know, when you kind of you grade the concussion someone gets, you know, from, you know, lesser end to a higher end severe one, you know, I had heard from some people that it was thankfully kind of on the lower end. Um, so there is, there is a chance that he'll be ready to play. Uh, my understanding was though that they're not going to know till um, later in the week, maybe on Thursday, um, whether he was going to be able to go or not. But um, I think it's, from what I understand, it's far too early to label him as out for the game this weekend. Hey, I've I've been on the receiving end of a couple of a uh, couple of concussions, and uh, the fun part of it was that I got two of them at the exact same time. I walked into an electrical pole when I was walking back to the, into high school after receiving a concussion. So uh, I guess I deserve that because I just walked into an electrical pole. And those things, if they uh, if if there's any lingering impact, I mean, this was what. 15 years ago when this happened, there was uh, I don't even remember. See, I don't even remember when it happened. Uh, but if, if there's any lingering impact, they're not going to suit up a guy. I, I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah, I, uh, you know, with B, with BC style too, um, just just as a school and an institution, they're pretty conservative with stuff. So if there's any question marks, they're not they're not going to give them the green light. That's for sure. In terms of your prediction for uh, for Saturday, not necessarily a score, but what can BC fans come to expect uh, from the Eagles and Huskies on Saturday afternoon? Well, um, like I was saying, I, I think BC fans have to be prepared for very very tough game. Um, this. The, you know, you kind of look at the schedule, and they're one of the least recognizable names on it. But make no mistake, they're they're better than uh, a 
few of the teams on BC's schedule the rest of the way from the ACC. So um, I I think it's going to be a close game, a grinded-out game, um, and I honestly believe it's going to come down to one of these teams performing better than the other on special teams. Uh, it's kind of a part of the game that gets overlooked a lot, but um, in a game like this where the score is going to be close, you know, it, it could be something – um, you know, like a field goal, a goal kicker being off that day, uh, you know, a, a return man getting a big return. I think something like that um, is going to have a huge impact in this game. And for BC's sake, I, I hope they can kind of straighten out these some of these punt return issues because Sharm Alston, you know, love the guy as a player, but he's baffling me with some of his decisions on punt returns and. Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to stick with him for this week or, uh, you know, maybe let Miles Willis get back there and return punts or or, or Thad Smith or someone like that because, um, I, I don't know, Sherm just doesn't look right returning those punts this year. Well, Mr. Hossus, uh thanks again for joining us here. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we will we will talk again before the season is over and, uh, again, dirt once basketball gets kicked up because I know that's uh, that's right around the corner. Oh, yeah, I love me some hoops. Can't wait to talk basketball with you guys down the road. Thanks, Eric. We'll uh, we'll catch up soon. All right, take care, guys. Thanks. All right, AJ, I, um, I'll throw this out there because I came out hot in this broadcast, and, and you know what? I, I, I come back and forth in my in my opinion here, and I guess my frustration is that I'm in the middle and I'm seeing both sides, and I'm honestly frustrated with both sides right now. Yes, I was extremely frustrated with the way Friday night turned out. I'm extremely frustrated with the way the fans have behaved since then in terms of just, just rolling this team over and, and saying that, well, the season's over, da, 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 this isn't worth, you know, this team. Is, and and it's, not on the, it's not even on the message boards. We do see some of it on the message boards. But, I, you know, hearing people talk on the way out of the stadium, you would think that, you know, they were on the way to 2-10. and 10. And, and, you know, yeah, they, they could run into problems along the way, but – I'm not focused on how this team's going to finish in November right now. I'm only focused on Northern Illinois and what happens on Saturday. Now, was I frustrated last Saturday, last Friday? Yes. Am I going to be frustrated in November? I don't know. I just want to focus on Northern Illinois right now. Yeah, it's one this is a young team and um you know, that's a frustrating thing is you have to I don't know how many times I've had to talk to people about that. Like, not just people in the method sports, my friends, my family that comes to tailgates. This is a young team. They're going to make mistakes. They're, there's a learning curve for this. And, yes, this is technically Adazio's third year, but most of these guys are kids, you know. he's re, He had to basically redo his entire offense. And we have to, you know, we have to take those growing pains as they learn the offense, as they figure out what they're doing. And, yes, partially I agree that, you know, Adazio didn't do any, them any favors by, you know, going, uh, you know, into a shell at the end of the first half. But, you know, he had his philosophy. He stuck with it. That's kind of what he chose. I don't agree with it, but that's what he did. Um, I, you know, we can't look ahead to Notre Dame. We can't look ahead to Virginia Tech. We can't look ahead to Duke. You have to look at Northern Illinois right now. I mean, it's focused on how BC is going to attack them, um, and, and you know, get that defense. I mean, as as we saw last week, that defense can keep BC in any game. 
they're going to keep them in all the games this year. They're they're sick. They're I mean, as frustrating as BC's offense is to watch, that defense is fun to watch. You know, I I look at this at this whole thing and and I do agree, you know, the the play calling from my perspective was uh, I I have admitted as much. I I you know, I didn't agree with some of it and Eric clearly did not agree with some of it. Our listeners and, and our, our commenters and readers didn't agree with it. Fans were booing at the end of the first half. Fans were booing in the second half. Uh, you know, it wasn't enough like for you to, to sit there and probably hear it on TV, but, you know, it was around us. Now, that is all related to the fact that this team is still in development stage. Now, does that change as the, as the year progresses? Maybe it does. Um, maybe it doesn't, but I know that Whatever Coach Adazio was trying to do through the first three games is toast. And I, and what I mean by toast is that he, he doesn't have the quarterback that he was planning on building it around. Now, when he looks at the quarterback situation, you know, neither guy – none of these three guys have taken a meaningful snap. If you think back to right after Dominique Davis left Boston College um, – when he left Boston College, I believe he transferred prior to the 2009 season. That 2009 Boston College offense was not very good. And it was a Gary Tranquil offense. It was Frank Spaziani's first year. BC went 8-5 and five thanks to a defense that was out of control good. Now, by the same token, they didn't have any development on the offensive side they ruined the development of Chase Reddick, I, I feel, that team by putting him in against Notre Dame in the middle of the season, and then he got hurt. You know, you look at the beginning of that year when, um, with kind of the way everything kind of happened and the way it, it turned out, that was not a very good offense, and we see some of the same development. Now, or we see some of the same developments, meaning within the season. My difference and my opinion is that while Spaz couldn't develop the offense over the next couple of years, they got progressively worse and then started rotating out offensive coordinators with different thinking. Steve Adazio is going to have the same, doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is, he is going to have the same methodology on offense and that these guys are going to have years in this system and they will get better. It's not going to happen overnight and I think that's the part that's incredibly hard to see is that you would like to see them take steps. And even if it's two giant steps back, it's really hard to see the progress that maybe the coaches are seeing or the progress that may be there later on in the year, because it's so hard to see right now, if we're going week to week. You know, I have a question for you, Dan. I want, I have a theoretical envision something question. Let's look at something. If BC had the offense that they had last year, which people still bitched about, or the offense they had the year before, which people still bitched about, would we be complaining today? No. And would we be in good shape? Yes. And well, would we, we, have, we, we me, by, by we complaining, me and you? Or, or no, in the, general, fan base, oh. the, the general fan base in general. Oh, they probably would be complaining. I would think that the offensive system that we had in 2013 and 2014 with this defense would be a nine-win team, ten-win team. They would be they would be able to score buttloads of points and hold and hold defenses uh, offenses to 
to a small point. So I think all the crap that Adazio gets for his offense and Ryan Day gets for his offense in the last couple of years and that we can't put an offense together and it's just running crap, I think pairing that offense with the defense that we have right now, no one would be complaining. BC would be favored in a lot of games. BC's defense would be fresh constantly. I think they would be in great shape every game if they were doing that. I don't want to see them changing things. I want to see them do one of those offenses with what we have now and pair it with that defense because I think they would be a dynamic team. Yeah, and and there are two and there are two points that I kind of come back to on that, and and this is where, you know, I I will side with the fans a little bit, even though it, I mean I've been hammering them, you've been hammering them, um, you know, we we got a differing opinion out of Eric, which was great to see, um, and that is that if we look ahead into the future and we look ahead and things haven't gotten better, well then yeah, Steve Adazio should come under fire. I remember back when I was talking about the the offense and I was talking about the beginning of the season, you know, and I said in terms of the record, I had said six and six and I had said that Boston college, uh, I'm trying to pull it up, uh, you know, the, the record prediction um, for the football team. And I had said in our round table, six and six miss a bowl game because of that, that whole thing. I said, you know, last year I had said they were going to open up potentially five and one and then run into a brutal stretch down the end of the season and finish maybe seven and f- and finish seven and five with four and four in, in conference. Now, my I guess my point is that if you on this particular point is that if you look at the at the at the schedule, BC record wise is exactly where they should be. They're two and one. They beat Maine, they beat Howard, and they lost to Florida State. Now, if they lose to Northern Illinois, a game that I had penciled in as a win. They need to come up with a win somewhere else, maybe against Duke, maybe against Virginia Tech, maybe against Louisville, who is surprisingly bad. Nice that BC was going to lose to. You know, it's still attainable because, to be honest, you've got time to put it together. You don't have a ton of time, but even if you lose this week, come the end of the season, the greater body of work, it'll be really interesting to see because we, we hammered them last year after the loss to Colorado State. We hammered them. You lose to Northern yeah. Illinois, you're going to get hammered. And yep. they still finished when we talk about that team. We talk reverently about a 7-5 and five team that did some really positive things on offense. Right. And I think it's just the flip of that this year. You know, the defense last year was frustrating to watch. They couldn't stop teams in many of the games because, as Don Brown said, he didn't have the personnel, personnel to do it. It sounds like almost identical to what we have right now on offense. You know, the, the personnel's there. It's just not underdeveloped at this point. Um, but No, and I was going to say, and the other side of it is that, you know, it doesn't matter how you win or lose games if you're if you're truly in them. Um, You know, good losses, bad losses. In baseball, we use the Pythagorean win loss formula. But if you look at the way the the season shapes up, and it's a uh, and who you win and lose, if you beat a team seven seven to six, or you beat a team thirty four thirty four to nothing, it goes into the record books the exact same way. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I think one game is not dictating how the season is going to end for BC or what, what the end result and how we're going to remember them. You know, we don't remember, you know, many of us will remember that we lost to Pitt, but we'll more remember what happened the week right after that when BC went out there and smacked USC in the face. I mean, BC couldn't move the, I mean, BC looked like crap against Pitt 
and we were hammering them for that. And the next week they went out there against a 14-point or 17-point favorite and beat them. So I I don't know. It I've said it all week. It's it's not how BC loses the game. It's how BC responds the next week, how they build upon what they've learned. I think that's going to dictate what we think about Adazio. It, did he learn anything from that loss? Did he learn on how his team reacts and what he can do on offense? I think that's going to be the biggest thing. If we see him out there with some different plays and some different things that he didn't do last week, I think that's a positive sign, and we'll have to see that on Saturday. And and, and when it comes down to it, you know, when I guess the, the emotion runs hot after a loss, especially in a winnable game, and really the Florida State game was a winnable game, you know, the emotion runs hot. The initial knee-jerk reaction is, is you know, I, you and I both kind of berated the team a little bit, and you said, well, you wasted a defensive performance. The defense could not have played any better if they tried. I mean, they gave up seven points uh, against the number nine team in the nation. They made Florida State look bad, and and we found out that, that they could be for real. Now, you know, they could get hung out to dry, and, and a team can drop 30 points on them. I don't, I don't think that's out of the question at some point, and and, you know, we would have to explain what happened in that game. Um, but I think when you come back to it and the emotion that was after that game, you know, we, we hammered the offense, you and I. We did. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we saw. Steve Adazio reiterated a couple of the things that we said. You know, maybe we probably could have worded it better. I, I won't deny that on our side. Um, but you saw yesterday the emotion and the passion from him to say, you know, this is not – this is this is where we are, and it's not coach speak. This is really where we are. I think he actually said, I'm not giving you coach speak. This is exactly how I feel. And if if it made you angry that he, that he kind of took that approach, well, at least you know where he stands, and he's not sugarcoating anything. He's not sugarcoating how, you sh- how he thinks we all should be thinking about it or what he sees or anything like that. He doesn't have to explain it to us, and he took the time to explain it. Now, that said, we can all disagree. That's fine. I don't, I don't see a problem with it. But at least he stood up there and he said, we're going to get better and we're going to try to do better. And we had a hell of a contest. We didn't pull it out, but we're going to see where we are. We're going to see what we have, and we're going to see where we can go. I don't think fans can really ask for much more out of him than that. Uh, yeah, I don't know what other – you know, the, the Dazio uh, detractors, I, I don't know what they want from him, you know, I guess it's, you know, some people are just going to want to watch the world burn and they don't care what people do and say. But I thought Adazio was right, and I'm glad that he's pissed, you know. I'd be worried if he was up there, you know, like with like Spaz was, which is slugging his shoulders and kind of blowing everything off, saying that we did things right. You know, he did do that for the things that he thought were right, but he was very critical about the things that he didn't. And I think that's good. You know, good coaches see what's wrong and want to see what they can fix and go out there and do it. And I think Adazio, you know, 7-5 and five is 7-5. and five. And he did that, you know, two years in a row. But he did that with not his own players. He did it with, with Spaz recruits. And I think we, we lose sight of that, of how big of an undertaking that was for him to do something like that. Just look, you know, I'll throw it out there. Look at the guys that were hired the same year as Dazio. Look at Purdue right now. Purdue's a, a dumpster fire right now. Uh, Daryl has a, or how, Hazel, how do you say his name? Oh, who's that? The head coach of Purdue. 
Hazel? Uh, Hazel? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with whatever you say. So. Yeah, him. Well, he was hired <laughs> the same year as a Dodger. And, and Purdue is easily in worse shape than they were when they hired him. They're a mess. They were not able to – that he was not able to go in there and fix things. And most teams that hire guys the same year as Adazio haven't had the same success. So I think that's something that gets lost in all this, is that he has been a guy that can see something and fix it. He's been doing it for two years. He's going to do it again, I, I, I think. And I know that's my, my rose-colored sunglasses. Now that now that said, it's perfectly within our right where when you're watching a game to get frustrated at some of the things that happen. Um, you know, I like Eric said, I don't think that we're going to see if if put into the exact same position against Northern Illinois on Saturday. I don't think Steve Adazio is going to open up the playbook and all of a sudden start throwing the football over the field. That's just not his style. Um, I don't think that you know. Here's the here's the other part of it with the two minute drill, and I guess this is the part that I forgot about. And I forgot about it then, and I forgot about it until pretty much right now. Florida State had two timeouts, had either two timeouts or all three timeouts. They didn't burn all those time. I think they might have had all three timeouts. So if you throw an incomplete pass with a minute to go out by midfield, Florida State gets a stoppage of the clock. So if you're at like second and nine and they decide, wait a second, there's still a minute 20 on the clock, a minute 15 on the clock, and then you run the football after a missed throw, they call a timeout. Now you're at third down with a minute 10, they call a timeout if you can't make it to move. You know, it's, I really do believe that the, that, you know, if you look at that, there's, there's so many different variables to it that maybe Florida state maybe got, maybe got the best of BC in that situation Maybe I disagree. I do disagree. I would have liked to have seen them try to run the two-minute drill. But with all the different variables, it's on the coach to make that decision. Case in point, the Super Bowl. But, uh, the, after that miracle catch down to the goal line by what's-his-face, Curse for the Seahawks, yep. they ran Lynch down to the one. The coaching staff asked Bill Belichick, do you want to take the timeout? Do you want to take the timeout? And he was looking over at the sideline, and he said, Something just doesn't seem right. And he said, no, we're going to go for it. We're not taking the timeout. And I remember sitting on my couch screaming at the TV, why aren't you taking the timeout? And as it turned out, he saw what he didn't like. He knew how to anticipate it. Did Steve Adazio maybe look at the other side or analyze it and say, I don't like how this is going. Let's just get in the locker room. Now, for us, we can look at it and go crazy. But he's the guy that makes that decision. He has to see all the angles. And ultimately – even if you disagree with it, you have to respect the coach's decision simply because whether it worked or whether it didn't work, he's the guy that has to do that. And he's the guy that, that's entrusted to make that decision in front of 50,000 people. Yeah, it's his, it's his neck on the line, not us. It's easy for us to sit there and scream and yell that he should do something and he should do something else. You know, It's, it's, it's easy for us to say, oh, you should throw away the run and go pass happy. You know? But we're not the one out there recruiting on the, uh, uh, you know, on the recruiting trail or, or making those calls on goal line situations. That's him. That's his philosophy. And it's going to make him what he is as a coach. If he, you know, makes those decisions, you know, I'm sure, you know, as a Patriots fan, you bring up the Patriots, Bill Belichick, I'm sure a lot of BC fans hate him because that's New York or whatever. You know, as a BC, as a Patriots fan, he's made decisions too, where we've said, what the hell is he doing? You know, like yep. that timeout, that lack of timeout, 
Um, going for it against Indianapolis, um, was it 2009, 2010? Fourth and, fourth and two. Yep. You know, that was more the other, and that was over-aggression, um, over-aggressiveness. But coaches make those choices. That's what they're based on. He went aggressive. Adazio went conservative. But they know their team better than we do. You know, I we write, Dan, me and you, we write about this team two to three times a day. And I will never claim to know as half to, a, you know, a quarter to a tenth as much of what Adazio knows. He knows every little detail about that team. So when it comes to what he chooses, I'm going to defer to him every time. And and there's a possibility that if enough of these don't play out and if enough of these get strung together, that you look at the larger body of work and say, well, it's just not working out. Well, then you can say he's not a good head coach. I mean, we reserve the right to say, well, it hasn't worked out or it does work out or it doesn't. And I respect somebody who wants to say that Steve Adazio is not a good head coach. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves and we still don't know enough. I think he's a good coach. You might think he's not a good coach, but you can't say he's never going to be able to do it. Now, at the end of the year, if he's done this for seven games and we're in a Scott Schaefer situation where Syracuse is, is losing games and he's blowing up week after week and, you know, they're, I think Syracuse even won a couple of games this year, but they're on their third and fourth quarterback. You know, it's a, uh, it's just, it's one of those things where until, you know, by the end of the Spaz era, we had enough of a case study to see that he had done poorly almost three quarters of the time in that situation. Play calls, I can name a, a bunch of them off the top of my head. You know, taking, running into the middle schmiddle against Duke, only to have the, the, the field goal shank. Happy anniversary, by the way, coming up in a, a, with Duke coming up in a couple weeks. Um, you know, the the being on offense and, and for whatever reason, opening up and throwing or with Chase Reddick and burning all those red shirts. You know, when he played Reddick against Notre Dame, I thought that was a disaster. Because then he injured, got him injured, too. Not being able to settle on a quarterback during those years when he had Shinsky and Marska Vetra, he didn't. He burned a couple of red shirts on defense. Malachi Moore, among a number of guys, we had enough information to process that he had done a bad job. Steve Adazio, based off of what we've seen, has done a good job. Not great, good, better than average. So it's something that yeah, we can at least hold on to to say it did, just didn't work out this one time. And as I, you know, I, I was thinking about it when Eric was talking about his end of the game, end of the quarter management, uh, end of the half management there. And when I mentioned to him about, is it in Adazio's brain a reaction to what he struggled with most over the last two years? How many games can you think of where last two years BC went into the half and let up points? It happened every single. I mean, I. It felt like every single week they'd let up points at the end of the half. And I have to wonder if in his brain he's going, even even though it's a completely different defense, he's going in his brain, I have to make sure I don't let up points because that's something. He even mentioned it, I think, in during um, summer football. That was his point of emphasis this year was that he didn't want them to give up points at the end of the half. And I I have to wonder if that play calling that he had against FSU was kind of that mindset now where he's going, oh oh, crap, I don't want to give up. I'm going to make sure this is conservative because I don't want to give Florida State the momentum going into the half. Right, and and you know for for all the for all of of everything, 
I think we all just you know need to see what Boston College puts together this week against NIU. And, and I keep saying, well, let's turn the page, and then I keep revisiting something else. And I turn the page, and I keep revisiting something else. But when we get to Saturday, how Boston College plays, win or loss, is going to dictate a lot about how we feel about them. Like Eric said, unfortunately, the casual fan, if they lose to Northern Illinois, the comment section on the Boston Globe is going to look very different from the comment section on BC Interruption. The comment section on the Boston Globe is going to say Boston College doesn't win anymore. They're irrelevant. This is you know, what happened to the days when they were going to all these games. They're never going to be good again. Our message board may say something totally different, but that's kind of what they're up against. How can you blot that out? And that's something that they have to do is blot all of that out because what people are saying, they can't pay attention to. No matter how hard it's going to be, win or lose, they've got to be able to blot out all the comments. You're not as good as when you're great, and you're not as bad as when you suck. Yeah, I mean, I hope that, you know, I saw, you know, first of all, Adazio and his comments made it think that it made it sound like he's been reading stuff online. And, I hope that he's not internalizing what fans are saying because, honestly, he shouldn't be doing that. That's not his job. His job is to focus that team and do what they got to do. And, and, I don't, also, and I don't think he, I don't think he is. He, like, I don't think that he's a uh, you know, full-blown like, reading it and saying, well, this is what they're all saying about me. I think sometimes he does feel that he would need to explain it to everybody more so than anything else. Right. But, I mean, also, you saw after the game, some of the players were – were feeling it too. They were responding yeah. back to fans, and that's it's points like that too, where you know, totally side subject. I I kind of wish sometimes that BC would take away social media from the players at times, because I wish they would not have to deal with that crap. But you know, I want BC to not have to listen to that. I want them to focus. I want them on, you know, on their game plan and, and on to next week. That's what Bill Belichick who. You know, we're both homers, so we're going to say it. Is one of the best coach of all time. One of the best coaches of all time. He's the best at doing that, and I hope. I, I assume that Adazio seems like a guy that can do that, but I I hope that that's something that he's been able to do after the backlash last week. Yeah, and and you know what? There was backlash. There was stuff that. You know, the, the, but that's that's something else though. Is is you're right. The social media aspect of it. They're going to hear a lot of of in general and, and, and hear a lot of that stuff. But that's a, that's a whole other discussion for another day. If I had to guess, they would, uh, you know, if I had to guess, there would be uh, just discussions in general, uh, you know, again, blot all that out. Don't pay attention to it. You play for the guy next to you more so than, than anything else. But the whole social media interaction thing, that's a, that's another discussion for another day. Uh, looks like we get, looks like we got a call. We can take this before we, before we wrap up here with the last 20 minutes. Uh, we go down here to the eight one three area code. You got Dan and AJ. Thanks for t- thanks for calling in here. Yeah, can you hear me? I can. Good. HD here. How you guys been? <laughs> hey, oh. HD. How are you? We missed you this good, year. Good, good, brother. How you doing? We yeah, thanks we for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were we were worried that we hadn't heard from you all this season. It it, it sounds good. You sound great, my friend. Well, I hope uh, domesticated married life is treating uh, you well. And uh, yeah, I um, <clears throat> I went through two wives. I hope you do better and last longer than I did. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, and your next uh, AJ, I guess. Uh, so oh, I'm already, um, I've been married for six years, so don't worry about me. 
Oh, he, that's my total. That's my total years. Three and three I had. But uh, he's got a he's ne- got a master's Never degree. got never got married in the Catholic Church. Eloped twice, so I'm still good with the Pope. You hear that Pope if you're listening in DC today. So, uh, um, hey, listen. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the game. I didn't have time to call you last week. Uh, it looked like a game with uh, a bunch of young guys on. Obviously, both offensive lines. Um, uh, it, it you know. It, Florida State is just out-recruited, out-recruited uh, just about everybody in the country. Um, Adazio has gotten some good recruits, uh, but I guess you're playing with a lot of Spaz's recruits, which were two stars, three stars max. But, um, you know, it, it was a uh, it was a great game. I thought Golson's move should have made ESPN. I mean, you know, a safety, uh, two 360 spins in the end zone, and he gets 20 yards or so. Uh, ESPN just is just catering to the SEC again this year, and I guess they're always going to. But what a move by by Golson! What a godsend! Uh, you know, the next quarterback, Sean McGuire. I met him. He's uh, listed as six three. The dude is six, and he stunk up the spring game. But what a godsend for Golson to FSU! And um, you know, I thought it was um, a good showing. I, I thought it might be a sellout, uh, but. I guess Friday night traffic around uh, the campus there is is a bear, but I, I you know I got to say something, uh, guys. The first time I ever called your show, uh, I mentioned that it was two things that really surprised me about BC when I looked them up intently, and um, when they came into the league, is that a you know their academics is as good as Duke. Uh, I didn't know they're that good. They're excellent, obviously. Uh, top 30 so schools in the country, according to U.S. News and World Report. But the B was how does BC not have a men's lacrosse program? And this just really, I don't get this one at all. Uh, you're right there in, in men's lacrosse uh, or across country. And I looked at uh, a couple minutes ago, I looked up the BC uh, athletic website and uh, why this Bates fella, and I guess I'm not enamored with him, and I don't think anybody on campus is, but your AD, why don't they just drop fencing, uh, skiing, and sailing? Now, I don't know what uh, the maximum amount, and if you're fully funded in any of those sports, I don't even know the numbers of these sports guys, but if they drop those on the men's side and put, you know, and then obviously put that money and scholarships towards um lacrosse i mean if you obviously you notice lacrosse has got an awful lot of play um it's on tv all the time uh at the junior high and high school level it is booming uh with um club teams traveling around also it is a very very fast growing sport on the college level it's not moving as quick because of title nine i think there's uh 65 national uh nationally the 65 uh funded scholarship lacrosse colleges around the country um, it's not quite moving quite as, as fast because that's, of course, Title IX. You know how that works. But I don't get it. If you drop these men's sports that bring you no publicity whatsoever, okay, no publicity whatsoever, and i got to figure that sailing is a very expensive sport. Um, you know, I, I just uh, – I, I'm dumbfounded why BC is not getting rid of these sports to get the publicity. You see the play that lacrosse gets in the spring. I am absolutely dumbfounded. I had to get that off my chest. And um, another thing I had to ask you, educate me. Um, I always hear you guys talking about the parking problem, uh, pregame, tailgating, et cetera. What is this uh, 
you know, I Google mapped the campus. What is this park MDC just north of Shea Field? Is that a park park or is that some park I we don't call hey, parks down here in Florida? <laughs> it's a it's a state thing. MDC is uh the MDC is a Massachusetts um it's a it's a thing. It, it's a, I don't know the exact. I think it's like called Mass the Metropolitan. Massachusetts Conservation. Yeah, it? it's um yeah it's uh that's it. That's got to be it. I I don't know the uh. I don't know the exact name of it, but I know that anything that's MDC is designated. Con- designated, we're not going to be able to build on it. It's like a land bank sort of thing. It uh, it gets into the whole aspect of stuff I I can't even claim to understand. Yeah, so you can't tailgate on it, is what you're saying. It's not open ground, or, or it's not a field or two. You can throw down sure. some tables and have a great tailgate. It's just it's just not open to the public. Is that what you're well, saying? It- HD, the the thing is, BC opened up a whole new outdoor uh, tailgating area out on the Brighton campus, which is, like, right across the street from the main campus. It's about a five-minute walk to the stadium from where um, where you can park, and that's all new this year. However, okay. again, just like everything else at BC, it's all donation-based. So if you were an FSU fan and you wanted to come up here to the game and tailgate, you can't. They're not going to let you. You have to make that gigantic donation for season tickets to do it. Um, so, I, I, you know, it doesn't matter where BC opens up areas. Right now they're going to try to milk the money out of it. Right, right. Okay, well, I saw that, and I, I saw your article on how expensive it is to get into that uh, new area you just mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Geez, that is expensive. But, you know, um, the other thing, I mean, obviously BC. Uh, if you look up endowments of colleges, my God, BC's in the top twenty-five in the country. I mean, they're in the ACC. They're behind Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, and right there with Georgia Tech. So they're fourth or fifth, uh, you know, in, in the ACC in the endowment. They got so much money at BC. Um, you know, I, I know departments run their own budgets, et cetera, and. and you know, the endowment money is not technically tagged for athletics, but, jeez, uh, loan them some money. And uh, it just drives me crazy, guys. I still can't get over the fact that you have a major college in New England, and I'm, I'm you, you're going to – I, I don't want to be speaking blasphemy or <laughs> anything like that, but uh, I, the attendance, I don't get it. I mean, you have a, a struggle, a, a family – that has, I don't know, two kids, nuclear family. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I got to figure that the Patriots and the Bruins and the Sox and the, and, and um, the Celtics, uh, very expensive ticket. Okay. I don't get it with all the population around the area there. Uh, why a young family and, and BC doesn't reach out to these younger families that, uh, you know, want a, a great day out on a beautiful campus, seeing college football, the best sport in, in on the planet. Uh, how there's not a marketing effort to get even people that don't have, you know, BC connections, guys. Um, you know, I just uh, don't get that. And here's my blasphemy statement. You know, there's that school down in stores. <laughs> that would be, that would be, that would be, I mean, wow. That would be fights in the parking lot like FSU in Miami, you know. What do you think? Is that ever going to happen? We're all for it. We would like to see it happen. Uh, we're hoping that one day it does happen, and it would be uh, it would be a good one. I know we got UMass coming in, but you know, given their given their state of of football programs, uh, 
you know that could that could be a, a, a tough case. But AHD, we we gotta we gotta we got, we're running up a little bit against our clock here. We got about ten or twelve minutes left for us, so we're gonna let you go just so we can wrap up here and not not get booted off like we like we did a couple of weeks back. But thanks for calling in, and uh, it's great to hear from you again. All right, thanks. I had to go get those things off my chest, bro. Have a good week. Absolutely. Bye. Thanks, AHD. Oh, resident hot sports take guy. We have a. Uh, you know what? We we bring, he comes in and like we we try to keep it you know light and fluffy and I love when guys are able to call in and just get things off their chest uh, regardless of the topic, AJ, because there's some great points that that need to get brought up. That wasn't a sellout this weekend. It was close, but it wasn't a sellout this weekend. And there was some beautiful opportunity there uh, to get close to it. Again, that's you know they didn't even get the forty thousand number. I thought the crowd was great. I thought it was very, a very electric crowd, but it was. But the detractors will always have that point. It wasn't a sellout. And you know, I have to say, if that game was a Saturday night, I bet it would have been a sellout. I think sure. it was. The, as, I think it was that Friday night piece. It's hard for people to get there. You know, living in Boston, it's it stinks trying to get around that city. And I think people were like, "Screw it, it's a Friday night. I'm not going to do it." I think that had more to do with the missing, what, 4,000 to 5,000 tickets that weren't there than anything else. Yep, and, uh, you know, it's – we'll be – you know, for for a BC team, we always say we'll be back, and uh, we will be back, and, and the road back starts on Saturday. A 1 p.m. start – right, 1 p.m. start at uh, at home. It's the end of a four-game home trip, uh, home stand, I should say, against uh, the Northern Illinois Huskies. It's a big game. Get out and support the Eagles. They need they need support. You don't you don't abandon your team after just because they lost one game, just because they didn't look good on offense in one game. This defense is worth the support. The offense needs the support from the fans to to get it together and have the patience. For the love of God, have the patience. Um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting come Saturday. That's for darn sure. Yeah, and you know, everyone has been ripping on the schedule. And as Eric said, NIU is no joke. This is a team that was in the Orange Bowl two or three years ago, a team that almost beat Ohio State last week. This team is no joke. So you need to be out there supporting this team and understand that this is a good team. This is not just max fodder like Buffalo or UMass or Central Michigan. They are a nasty team, a team that almost won the Orange Bowl a couple years ago. They are good, and we have to – you know, as fan base, get ready for it and be ready to support our team. But hope that BCs also are preparing that way too. And I, I have no doubt that Adazio sees that. This is this, you know, I don't want to hope. You know, I'm hoping that the ending is different. But this is just like Colorado State last year. You know, people were bitching and moaning about how we lost to Colorado State. Colorado State was a great team. Their whole head coach went on to go to Florida the year out uh, this year as the head coach. So. Anything can happen, but, you know, not showing up because it's NIU and you haven't heard of them is lazy and it's not it's not helping out our team. So get to the LMI Stadium. I'm sure check, tickets are cheap. Go grab a few drinks before to decide a rogies, have some food, get there with your friends, and cheer on this team. They need it. They, we need the support on Saturday. And this team, uh, you know, needs to – this team will get back and, and get itself back. Um, but sometimes uh, you got to take the step back in order to uh, to see to see the future. You got to you got to take a step back 
and uh, see the future and uh, and see where they're going. Because I got to tell you, if this team is about as fired up as Steve Adazio was, they're gonna they're gonna embrace the hate and they're gonna they're gonna do something about it. Yep. Um, you know the players know it. They're ready. They're gonna be ready to. They, they're they're not happy with what happened on on Friday night. And I have no doubt in my mind that guys like Miles Willis, guys like John Hillman, they're pissed. And they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder. And we we better strap in because I think, you know, guys like that are going to start putting the team on their shoulders and we're going to see some bigger some bigger outputs from them. Yep. And uh, for us, that's going to send us into the rest of the week. Got to stay patient. You got to stay positive, folks. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of football left to play. Um, AJ Black, we've got a lot to cover the rest of this week. Everybody can keep it tuned in here on uh, on the mothership up here at, uh, at bcinterruption.com, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you later this week throughout the throughout the week on our posts. And uh, be sure to tune in on Saturday when BC takes on the Northern Illinois Huskies. AJ, there's only one thing left to do this week, and that's to sign off with with the same words as always, folks. More than ever, this team needs the support. So AJ, where do we go from here? Go Eagles. Go Eagles. We'll talk to you next week, folks.